Well, we started a couple of weeks ago talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And we covered the first four, love, joy, peace, and long-suffering. And tonight, I want to pick up where we left off and look at the last five of the fruit of the Spirit. The title is The Stream of the Spirit. The idea of this is when we are watered by the strength of the Spirit, like a tree that's planted by the rivers of waters, that we're able to bring forth the fruit that God wants us to bring. One time there was a man who bought a home, in a, and out back there was a small, sturdy tree. It was wintertime, and there was nothing that marked this tree as any different from the other trees in the yard. But when spring came, the tree began to bud and produce these beautiful pink flowers. The man thought to himself, how wonderful, I'm going to get to enjoy these exquisite pink flowers all year long. But before he had time to enjoy the beauty of this tree, the wind began to blow and soon those flower petals were strewn around the yard. What a mess. The man thought, this tree isn't useful for anything. The summer passed, and one day the man noticed that the tree was producing green fruit the size of large nuts. He cautiously picked one and took a bite. Yuck, he exclaimed as as he threw the fruit to the ground. What an awful taste. This tree is worthless. Its flowers are so delicate that the wind blows them away and its fruit is extremely bitter. He said, when winter comes, I'm definitely cutting this tree down. But the tree took no notice of this man. It continued to draw warmth from the sun, moisture from the ground. And when late fall came, the tree began to produce crisp red apples. The tree did not bear fruit in the beginning stages of its existence because its fruit had to endure a period of growth, of ripening. When the time was right, the fruit came forth in abundance. And I would challenge each and every one of you tonight, you're meant to bear fruit too. But you can only do so as you grow in the Holy Spirit, and as you walk in Him. Before we get into our main points tonight, I want to give you two different ways that the fruit of the Spirit is motivating in your life. I think, first of all, it helps us to motivate us by compelling us to abide in Christ. We understand that the fruit comes forth from Him. The fruit of the Spirit represent nine different attractive and virtuous qualities that we all desire. This fruit is not sensational. It's not self-serving in any way. It is the display of Christ-like character with sincerity and humility. And as it says on the screen, it compels us to abide in Christ. It's motivating because the only way to bear this fruit is to find it in Christ as we walk in the Spirit. Another way the fruit of the Spirit is motivating 
is that this fruit is evidence of a right relationship with God. Somebody who is bearing the fruit of the Spirit in their life is someone who is walking with God. It's evidence of a right relationship with God. The absence of fruit is convicting, isn't it? Because it reveals the lack of a faithful, private walk with the Lord. Fruit can also be frustrating. The fruit of the Spirit can be frustrating. Why? Number one, because bearing fruit takes time and growth. I already gave you the illustration of that apple tree growing in that man's backyard. It takes time and growth for that fruit to develop. And we live in a society that likes things right away. They like it right now. Well, I came to church on Sunday, so now my life should all be straightened out, right? I accepted Jesus, so now there's no more problems, right? God, don't you see? I even read my Bible for the first time today in six years. That should fix all my problems. I even prayed for five minutes. Why hasn't God fixed everything in my life? Fruit can be frustrating because it takes time to grow and develop. Another way that fruit can be frustrating is that it cannot be manufactured artificially. A lot of times we can come in trying to represent ourselves as somebody who is demonstrating spiritual fruit, but it cannot be manufactured artificially. Genuine fruit requires a genuine walk in the Spirit. Trying to produce this fruit apart from the Holy Spirit is frustrating because as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, without the Lord, it is impossible. John 15 says it very well. For without me, ye can do nothing. Nothing. I think a lot of times in the Christian life, we can find it frustrating to live a a disciplined life holy life, demonstrating fruit, bearing fruit, because we're trying to do it in our own strength. Spiritual fruit can be frustrating, can't it? Because it takes time. It doesn't happen right away. Or at least not all the way that we want it to. Spiritual fruit can be frustrating because you can't, Put it out of yourself artificially. It has to be real. It has to come from the Holy Spirit working through you. And there are lots of people that try to sort of stir up or make it look like to others that the Holy Spirit is real and active in their life when truthfully on the inside, they're empty and they're living in their own strength. And that's why so many of us live on a spiritual roller coaster. Things are good when you're trying hard, but then you get tired. Bearing fruit, true spiritual fruit, is not artificial. It's something that the Holy Spirit has to do through you. You know, our natural responses to situations are usually wrong. Have you found that in your life? I know I have in mine. Why is this? Well, the Bible tells us it's because in our flesh dwells no good thing. In our flesh resides the power of sin. Without God, we naturally 
Do not produce love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Those are not natural things that we live out in our own strength. It's something that is only a work of God in us that makes that possible. So tonight we're going to look at the remaining five fruit of the Spirit. I want you to notice, first of all, the Holy Spirit produces gentleness. Trying something new, people told me they're missing blanks. So if you miss these tonight, you're missing the highlights and the lines and everything. So let me know afterwards if it's distracting. I can go back to the old way. But uh, we're trying something new here to help you. Not that I mind if you come up and say, Pastor, I missed a blank. I just want to help you so you don't miss them. And uh, so you can follow along and keep up with this. The Holy Spirit produces gentleness. Paul said this to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 2.7, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherished, cherisheth her children. This is like a nursing mother who takes care of her baby. And we have some of those around here, nursing mothers. They, are, they cherish their children. They hold them close. They exemplify that gentleness. And Paul says, this is how we were to you, people of Thessalonica. This is how we were among you as a church. We behaved with gentleness. Many people view God as just a God of, of wrath and anger and judgment. And while God is a God of wrath, God hates sin, but God loves people. God is the ultimate expression of love and long-suffering and gentleness. Look throughout His Word while He does bring His wrath and His judgment. It's amazing to me, especially even in the Old Testament, where we often think of that as being the place where God's wrath is on display. I think it Part of the reason God includes all that timeline in there to tell you how many years took place between some of those things is to let you know God was long-suffering. God allowed this to go on for 40 years or sometimes 400 years. God allowed people to continue on the way that we were, they were going, not immediately bringing His wrath and judgment upon them. Why? Because God is a God who is long-suffering. He is a God who deals with His people with gentleness gentleness I think there's four different ways that we can demonstrate gentleness in our relationships number one we can demonstrate gentleness through sensitivity sensitivity to others Paul talking about being among you like a nurse who's cherishing her children a mother with her children we see a mother who's sensitive to the needs of her child she sees and experiences life from the emotions and feelings of her children. Are you running around so full of yourself and your own agenda and what you have to accomplish that you never slow down long enough to let the Holy Spirit work through you to be sensitive to the needs of those around you? I am still growing in my experience as we all are. But the more experience I get, the more I realize everybody is carrying a burden. Everybody is going through some kind of struggle. Nobody is exempt. 
And while it's easy for us to see our struggle and miss the needs of others around us, I would challenge you as you ask God to do a work in your life, ask Him to produce this gentleness in you and sensitivity towards the needs and emotions of others. It considers others and seeks to patiently identify with and understand what they are going through. The natural response is to see somebody who's having a struggle and say, what's their problem? What's wrong with them? Why don't they just get it in gear? Why don't they just figure out their mess? And you know what? That's such a prideful response. That's so opposite the Holy Spirit response. Because the Holy Spirit knows and He sees everything. You say, well, I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm just a person. But if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Ask the Lord to help you to become sensitive to the needs and emotions and struggles of others. You may not be able to fully understand everything everybody's going through. I can't. You can't. Because some of that's dependent upon our own circumstances and our own experiences. But you can slow down long enough to realize the reason they are what they are is because there's something affecting that. There's something that has made them think that way. It's some past experience. And yes, everyone has a choice, but you and I know very well that certain things motivate us in certain directions. Sensitivity. Number two, sympathy. Sympathy. Sympathy feels what others feel and it acknowledges those feelings. It bears burdens and feels hurt. It rejoices with those that rejoice and weeps with those that weep. I think this ought to be present in a healthy church body. If you look around and there's somebody else in pain or in need or in a struggle, don't just walk, well, I don't know what their problem is and go on about your business. No, if we're part of the same body, their hurt also is my hurt. Their joy is my joy. We're part of the same body, or at least we say we are. We're, we're all headed in the same direction, at least we claim to be. A body that ministers to itself is not a body that looks at the toe when I just whack it on the door frame and says, I don't know what your problem is, toe. Stop hurting. The rest of us are just fine. No, it's a body that ministers to the hurting toe and tries to bring everybody along. Sometimes someone else's pain may look seem to you as a frustration. If these people would just come around, if this, you know, you can look at this from a pastoral perspective. If these people would just be faithful in church, boy, what God could do. If more people would just give, oh, what could we do? That's not the right attitude to have. Rather, it's to look at ourselves, say, God, what do you want me to do? How can I be faithful with what you've given me? And Lord, how can I help others and encourage them? That's not just a pastor's job. That's all of our jobs. To be sympathetic towards the needs of others. Gentleness that the Holy Spirit produces in us also, I think, ought to give us straightforwardness, willing to speak the truth in love. That means we don't always just avoid the uncomfortable conversations, but you seek to deliver them with kindness and care. And you say, well, I'm good at this one. I can be straightforward. I have the gift of exhortation. I took my spiritual gifts test and it showed up. I am an exhorter. Okay? 
speak the truth in love, gentleness. And I would say spontaneity. This is thoughtfulness in action. It seeks to express gentleness in small, accessible ways. It's always looking for some way to serve or to give care. You know, there's sometimes you'll know ahead of time, hey, I, I'm going to go do this thing for this person to be nice to them. And then there are a lot of times and opportunities that just come up spontaneously. You could slow down. You could open the door for somebody. You could meet somebody's need. You could give them a kind word. There's all kinds of ways to demonstrate gentleness. And this is a work of the Holy Spirit. Some of you, this may come more naturally to others. That's why I think Paul uses the illustration of a mother with her children. Often mothers exude gentleness. Not always, I understand. Maybe for the men, this is a little more of a struggle naturally. But for all of us, this is not something we can truly exude or demonstrate in our lives without the work of the Holy Spirit. Gentleness. I think often the opposite of gentleness is grumpiness. Harshness. If you're feeling just upset and grumpy all the time, ask God to work in your heart. Ask God to help you to find your joy in Him. Gentleness, number one. Number two, the Holy Spirit produces goodness. Goodness. You know, in every relationship that you're in, there are toxins or potential harmful elephant, elephants. Elements. They might look like elephants sometimes with destructive capacity. And God, through the Holy Spirit, has provided a cleansing agent for restored vitality in your relationships. That's the attribute of goodness. Goodness. Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 10 say this, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who have the household of faith. Goodness. A spirit-filled Christian naturally desires to do good for others. But I would say this, as you're doing good, being good is what you are on the inside. Doing good is what people see on the outside. And to be able to truly do good and do good consistently requires that the Holy Spirit is doing His work to make you good on the inside because the, the Bible says it very clearly, there is none good but God. So true goodness that's being demonstrated on the outside comes from true goodness on the inside. That's a work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Goodness. What do you do when others are rude and speak evil against you? Well, I know what my natural response is. And if you just thought to yourself, well, I don't know what your problem is, Pastor Will. Well, you can teach us afterwards, you know, of how to be good. No, I'm teasing, right? Because we all have that response when people are rude to us or speak evil against us. The Holy Spirit, though, does His work. Peter was instructing the believers in his epistle in 1 Peter 2.12 who were going through some great hardship and trials. People were speaking evil against them. 
He says this, having your conversation, your lifestyle, honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, your goodness, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. How do you respond? Is it goodness that comes out? talked about this on Sunday morning a couple weeks ago as we looked at Stephen as he was put to death there for as he was martyred for preaching the gospel and as he was in that hard, difficult situation, what was he filled with? He was filled with power. He was filled with faith. He was filled with grace. He was filled with the Word and what came out of him? Those things. If you're filled with goodness, the goodness of God working in your life when you are pressed and you will be or you maybe are right now, Goodness should come out. We think about that with the illustration of fruit, right? There's nothing like, I think, fresh squeezed lemonade. And uh, a while back, Ruth Conover brought a bunch of lemons and gave them to us. And we took them home and squeezed them and made fresh squeezed lemonade. I love it. It's tasty. It's good. It's even better than the stuff they serve at Chick-fil-A. Why? Because it's fresh, squeezed lemonade. It hasn't been bubbling around in that thing at Chick-fil-A all day. It just came right from the fruit. It's good because it comes directly from that fresh fruit. And when you are squeezed, what comes out of you is what is inside of you. And I would dare say for most of us when we're squeezed, it doesn't taste better than Chick-fil-A lemonade. It's probably a lot more sour and worse. We need the Holy Spirit's working in each of us to bring forth fruit. Ten years from now, when you're still doing good, others will know you by your fruit. Understand, fruit takes time to develop. These things you may say, well, I'm trying my best. No, rest in the Holy Spirit. Ask Him to do His work through you. Lord, teach me your ways. Teach me how to respond correctly. Lord, teach me to hold my tongue and not say the first thing that comes out. Lord, teach me to restrain my fists and hold them back because I want to lash out against people. Lord, teach me to restrain all of the manipulativeness that's inside of me that wants to organize and work everything out to my own good, good plans and trust you to work things together. That's what the Holy Spirit does in your life. Number three, the Holy Spirit produces faith. Faith. And this fruit of the Spirit, there's, not to get too technical on us, but there's a tense here in the word when you look it up in the Greek that is not just faith in the noun form. It's the idea of faithfulness. It's what it's being demonstrated out in our lives. So sometimes we think of faith as just something we have. This is faith demonstrated as faithfulness, faith that continues on. So it's a good translation to have faith, but understand it's, it's, it's a continuous thing that keeps going forward. It's not, well, I had faith one time and I trusted in Jesus. No, this is me walking in that faith every day, faithfulness with the Lord. There's a short supply of faithfulness in our world today. In many circumstances, we tend to give up too soon. Commitment is rare. 
perseverance is almost non-existent. By nature, we tend to choose the path of least resistance. I don't want to work and save for anything. I'll just buy it now and pay it off later. Why? Because we choose the path that promises immediate, instant gratification. If I can't have it now, I don't want it. But through God's strength, the path is always the one that grows us in faith and persists in faithfulness. It's the path of no retreat, but it's also the path of the greatest reward. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, good things come to those that wait. Well, it's not just waiting, sitting around doing nothing. It's good things comes to those who are faithful. Faithful. The Scripture says it well. Moreover, it is required among stewards that a man be found faithful. Your faithfulness to God is of much greater value than your talents, abilities, or skills. There are plenty of talented people, but those talents are wasted when they're not used faithfully for the Lord. And if God has given you talents and abilities, which He's given to all of us in varying degrees and and number of all kinds of things that we're able to do for Him, use those things faithfully for Him. Through His Spirit, He can make you a person of faithfulness. That's a work of the Spirit. And then number four, the Holy Spirit produces meekness. Matthew 5, 5 in the Beatitudes there, Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls. Popular magazines today in our culture have names like Self, Glamour, Vanity Fair. Magazine publishers aren't fighting over the name meekness. You haven't seen that magazine on the rack at the the drugstore. You see, the natural man is opposed to the virtues of humility and meekness. Because life is all about my rights and my image and looking out for number one for me. But when the Holy Spirit's stream is flowing through your life and in your life, He will always grow the fruit of meekness. What is meekness? Well, meekness is defined as a submissive or teachable spirit towards God that reveals itself in genuine consideration of others. Some have defined it as strength under control. But it's directed first towards God and then towards fellow man. Rather than me setting myself up as the authority to run everybody else's life, I have humbled myself before God and then in the strength of the Lord, ask Him to help me live right towards others. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.25, he said this, In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. This is one of my theme verses as a pastor. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Parents, this should be a theme verse for you as a parent. 
in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Because sometimes you look at your children, sometimes you look at the people in your class that you're teaching, sometimes you look at those that you have the opportunity to lead and you say, oh, what are they doing? Why are they going this direction? Paul told Timothy, in meekness. Why? Because you can't grab them around the neck and force them to do right. You do it in meekness. Yes, they may be opposing themselves. Don't you understand what you're doing is harmful to you and to others around you? Stop. Instruct them in meekness. Strength under control. Titus 3.2 says, To speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. If you're struggling with your response toward other people, I would challenge you to first humble yourself before the Lord and remember what He has done for you. What has the Lord done for you? Has He forgiven you? Has He given you an eternal home in heaven? Has He given you His Holy Spirit to guide and direct you and to lead you through life? Has He given you the Word of God that has the answers for every need? Humble yourself before the Lord and then ask God to help you to deal, right, deal properly with those around you. When people are frustrating you and your desire is to respond in anger and frustration, you say, I know I need to be meek. I'm just not very naturally a meek person. First, start by humbling yourself before the Lord. And let God develop that meekness in you. James 1.21 says, Lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. Don't come to the word of God as, I already know what it says and I'm going to do whatever I want. No, come to the Lord with meekness. James 3.13 says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. Sometimes people who know a lot, sometimes I like to include myself in that group, but I don't know if I really am. But sometimes when you think you know a lot, you really feel re really ready to tell everybody else what to do all the time. And here James says, if God has given you some wisdom, demonstrate that wisdom by encouraging others in meekness. If you're somebody that knows it all and just bosses everybody else around and tells them how to, that's not somebody who has true wisdom from God. You may know a lot, but if you don't instruct people in meekness, you're not helping anybody to do the right thing. See, meekness is not weakness. It is strength under control. It is power under restraint. Consider Jesus the greatest example of meekness, his death of, on the cross as Almighty God submitted to the will of God and showed great restraint to humble himself and become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Meekness takes uncommon, unnatural, supernatural strength. The kind of strength that can only be found in the Holy Spirit. Your flesh will want to fly off the handle and speak your mind. Your flesh will compel you to fight for yourself in every situation because this is right. But the Holy Spirit of God will produce in you.
think to back away from a fight that you know you could win. It takes more strength to restrain than it does to go and win the fight that you already know you could win. It is the ability to handle hurt without overreacting. You say, you know, as we talk about these things, this doesn't sound natural. It doesn't sound possible. That's good. It shouldn't sound possible because it's only possible with the Holy Spirit. But my friend, I'm not telling you these things to discourage you, but rather to encourage you because God has said in his word that he is working in his children to conform them to the image of Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ is God, and he is, then being conformed to his image can't be an easy process because we are all born in sin. And it's a process that we cannot complete in our own strength. But God has promised that he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, far above all that we could ask or think. God can change you to be like Jesus Christ in ways that you would never on your own even think that are possible to be changed. Don't look at your life and say, well, but I just have a temper that I could never overcome. I just have this weakness I don't think I could ever do. I just have this struggle that I don't think will ever change. Ask God to help you to change and understand it will take time. Fruit takes time to develop. But the power of the Holy Spirit makes it possible. This is not impossible with Him. The Holy Spirit produces meekness. And finally tonight, the Holy Spirit produces temperance. Temperance. I read about a, a study that Stanford University did a number of years ago now. I even watched a video on this, and I thought about bringing it tonight, but for sake of time, I didn't. You can go on YouTube and probably find this video. But they did a study with preschoolers and marshmallows. Any of you know what the study I'm talking about? Not the marshmallows in the hair that happened back here with, with Bella, but preschoolers and marshmallows. And they, they brought these preschoolers into a room, and on the table in front of them was a marshmallow. And the, the researcher came in and said, you can eat this marshmallow right now, but if you'll wait, I have to run a couple of errands. When I come back to the room, if you haven't eaten the marshmallow, I'll give you another marshmallow, and you can have two marshmallows. And there's a really funny video I've seen where they actually had the camera on these children as they're sitting there on that chair with that marshmallow sitting in front of them on the table, and they're, they're fidgeting. I, I remember seeing one child pick up the marshmallow, and he sniffed that marshmallow, and it smelled so good. You saw them, some of them stick out their tongue and just touch, taste it just a little bit. Some of them sat in their chair. Some of them got up and walked around. A few of them said, forget about it. They just picked it up and ate that marshmallow as quickly as they could. There were a couple of marsh kids, though, who watched and sat and waited at what seemed like an eternity. Really, it was about 20 minutes. And the researcher came back in, said, you didn't eat the marshmallow. Here you go. And gave them a second marshmallow. And they enjoyed this. Now, what's interesting is they did a follow-up study with all of these children. When they became adolescents, teenagers. And the children who had not eaten the marshmallow until they were able to get two, those children were much more well-adjusted as teenagers. 
They were able to pursue goals that did not need instant gratification. They were able to persevere. They did better in school. It was amazing how those who demonstrated greater levels of temperance, self-control, were able to do much better in the things that life had put in front of them. You know, many problems in life are related to a lack of temperance or discipline. Oh, and by the way, my wife and I have talked about this marshmallow study with all of our children. We've considered doing it. We never did. But we've had a lot of conversations as to which ones would eat the marshmallow and which ones would wait. And some of you parents, you're thinking through, you're like, oh, yep, they would have eaten. Nope, they would have waited. Now, just because you have a child who would grab that marshmallow and eat it doesn't mean that their life is over. Oh, no, they failed the marshmallow test. What are we going to do? You see, all of us have varying degrees of temperance in us. But a lack of temperance brings a lot of struggle in life. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate. There's our word. He's temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and I bring it under subjection, bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul uses the illustration of somebody who's boxing or somebody who's running a race and talks about somebody who's competing in an athletic event, they have to do it with self-control, with discipline, with temperance. Why? Because they know the prize is out there. To win the boxing match, you have to be able to have the strength and endurance to go all of the rounds. In basketball or football, it was the guy who was still running in the fourth quarter and still able to hit hard when everybody else was out of gas. The Holy Spirit produces temperance in us. I think there's three different areas that we can see temperance being produced in our lives. Number one, a disciplined physical life. A disciplined physical life. A person filled with this Holy Spirit has the power of God to say no to things that are not the best for their mental or physical well-being. This is the one who says, no, I'm not going to eat the marshmallow right now. Because it would be better for me to have two marshmallows. It's the one who can say, no, I don't need to eat that because I have something more important to do with my body than just eat cake. Right? It's the one who can say, no, I don't need to think on that and put that into my mind because that's not going to help me to think on truth and serve the Lord. It's the one who says, no, I don't need to go do that with my time because there are more important things to use my time to do. Whether it's spending all day surfing social media, playing video games, or just mindlessly staring off into the blue sky, right? If somebody says, no, I need to be disciplined in my physical life because there's important things that God wants to do with me. There's a story of a man by the name of Sandy McIntyre. He was uh, in the gold rush in northern Ontario. This is many years ago now. 
and there, there became a mine that was named after him. This man discovered this mine, and a couple days later, he traded the rights for the mine for a glass of liquor. Only a couple weeks after that, they discovered a vein of gold in that mine worth some, at the time, $230 million. You know, if he just waited, had a little bit of discipline, could have said no to his immediate gratification of self and body, he could have had great riches. You know, throughout history, there have been many stories of those who have acted in indescribable and unthinkable ways because of alcohol, lust, or hatred, right? That's the complete opposite of a life that demonstrates the fruit of temperance. Listen, temperance is not natural. I understand. We all want that marshmallow and we want it right now. Even the ones who manage to withhold, it's like, oh, why don't I just get it now? I don't want to wait till later. The Holy Spirit can and will produce temperance in your life to give you a disciplined physical life. Second, a disciplined speech. Speech, what comes out of your mouth. Being able to know what to say and what not to say. Well, that takes discipline, doesn't it? Some of us always know what to say. Maybe we need to learn what, when not to say it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 says, Let no corrupt communication. Did you hear that? Let no corrupt communication. Not, well, a little bit from time to time. He says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good, there's that goodness again, that which is good to the use of edifying, that means to build people up, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. A good question to ask yourself before you speak is, is this going to minister grace? Is this going to encourage anybody? Is this going to help them? Or am I just out there spewing whatever pops into my head? I'm mad, so I'm going to start tearing things down. No, God says we ought to build things up with our words. And listen, this is not natural. It's not natural. This takes supernatural power. It's the Holy Spirit. A disciplined speech and finally a disciplined mind. A disciplined mind. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of of Christ. That idea of bringing your thoughts into captivity, grabbing onto them and saying, okay, is this a thought that pleases God? Yes, I'm going to hang on to that one. Is this a thought that pleases God? No, let me discard that one. Philippians 4.8, finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, lovely, pure, if there be any virtue, any praise, think on these things. It doesn't mean that there will never be an evil thought into your mind. Shandy always talked about that. We'd watched that movie when we first got married. I'd never seen it growing up because I, I was a man. There are some movies men don't watch like Anne of Green Gables. But she asked me to watch it with her. and Because I loved her, I watched Anne of Green Gables. And there's a statement that Anne makes about the guy that she's in love with for a long time. And then later, of course, they, they get married and all that. But she said, I like him because 
How is it, Shandy? She can say it better than I can. Yeah, he could be bad, but won't. Kind of like that little, you know, mischievous streak in him. I think all of us have some of that to one degree or another that our natural response, our thought, whatever else, we might have an evil thought from time to time. The Bible here is not saying you will never have an evil thought. You'll never have a thought of how to get somebody back. You'll never have, have a thought of how to, how to hurt somebody back for what they've done to you. Rather, he's saying take captive every thought. And those that you shouldn't have, cast those down. Cast them out. Get rid of them. Discard them. And the ones that are pleasing to God, keep those. Hang on to those. Think on what is true. Being disciplined, having temperance, it's hard work. The times when we struggle with this are often when we're tired. We haven't had enough to eat. They've done a whole series of commercials, snicker bar commercials on people who are hangry, right? It's not an excuse. Not for the believer. Because if it takes a Snickers bar to make you walk in the Spirit, that's saying that Snickers is more powerful than the Holy Spirit. Well, I didn't get enough sleep. I understand. Ask God for strength and then go take a nap. One of my teachers in college said, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is go take a nap. Because you're at the end of yourself physically. And so every little thing's setting you off. You may have been going through a hard time at work or with your family. Maybe a lot of rubs and, and struggles and emotions are running high. You might have to come apart. Spend some time with the Lord. Pray about it. Ask Him to help you think on what's true. And maybe you just need to take a nap. Why? Because the flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. The fruit of the Spirit. It's what God wants to develop in and through you. And He will do it as you continue to walk in the Spirit. Fill your mind with the Word of God. Spend time in prayer with God. Continually be confessing your sin to God. And walk patiently with Him. Letting Him change you and develop and mature the fruit in you. It takes time. This can't be done artificially. But God is working to change you into the image of Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard people say, like father, like son? You know, people generally become like their parents, <laughs> for better or worse. And it's amazing to watch even a small child with their mother or father, how they pick up even the little subtleties of speech and mannerism. You say, even if you put a whole room, like if we brought in all the kids that are here tonight and put them in this room and just kind of let them walk around, pretty soon you'd be able to tell who was related to who just by what they look like and how they act and what they say. Why? Because we become like our parents. But you know, God's doing His work through the Holy Spirit to transform you into the image of Jesus Christ. In time, you too can bear a striking resemblance to your heavenly Father. Wouldn't it be amazing if people who knew you were able to discern qualities in your life and they say, that reminds me of the character of Christ. Wouldn't it be great to hear this? Hey, you're a lot like your heavenly father. 
What a blessing that would be. And because the Holy Spirit dwells in you, if you're a believer, that is possible. It is possible. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, peace, meekness, temperance. Meekness, faith. Forgot that one. Temperance. We need the Holy Spirit's help to develop these things. I would ask you tonight and the rest of this week to take some time, do an inventory of your own life. Are these fruits being developed in my life? You say, well, I'm a long way. I got a long way to go. That's okay. First, the fruit starts out really small. Sometimes it's really bitter or sour. It takes time for it to ripen. But ask God to continue to do His work in you and confess in those areas that you're struggling. Ask Him to help you grow, to bear fruit, and to be like Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we need Your help. This is something that is beyond ourselves. This is not just trying harder. Lord, we can do nothing without You. I pray that you would help us to understand what the fruit are so that we could begin to become fruit inspectors in our own lives to look and to see what you're trying to do in and through us. I pray that we'd get serious about our walk with you, understanding that we need your help to be able to bear fruit. It takes time. It can't be done artificially. We ask for your help, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.